This program is intended for mature audiences only. Welcome. You are listening to On the Minds of Men. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Buckley, and I'm here today with Judith Steinhardt, who I'm so thrilled to be here with. We're in Manhattan, so don't mind the sirens. And we are going to be talking about... We're going to be talking about sex. We're going to be talking about the media. We're going to be talking about how the media affects our sex life. Men think they need to be ready to have sex at a moment's notice whether they want to or not, and there's no such thing as not. Right, because that's what we are taught, that's what a man's supposed to do, and that's what they do do, but we know that's not true. Well, they're human beings. Right. They're not machines. Right. Although I do remember talking to a man in his mid-twenties who said, with a lot of pain, but I would like to be more of a machine. Men have an idea of how sex should be and how they should respond, and how they should react. And then what they do is look at themselves with a magnifying glass Mm -hmm. and a club. Right. Because they beat themselves up for not meeting an image, which is unrealistic to begin with. People get enveloped in sexual silence. And as a result, you have no idea where the other person is, and you haven't really checked in with where you are, except maybe you're either being subsumed under the sexual feelings, or you're anxious about what the other person is thinking, what the woman is thinking, what will happen in 10 minutes, will you still be friendly afterwards, are you going to come too quickly, are you going to lose your erection, what happens to the condom? Men would, again, measure, literally, figuratively measure themselves against the men who were in the porn films and their penises would be unnaturally huge and then real men would feel inadequate and again it's not just the size of a person's penis that makes them a good lover and it's hard for men to hear that. Judith, can you tell our listeners more about you and what you do and what you've done? Well, I started in the sexuality field after I was an English teacher. I had a a shift in my career Mm -hmm. where a ninth grade boy after class one day came up and first he wanted to know if I would want to buy some pot. And I said, no, thank you, thinking it was the end of the conversation. But I didn't know that he was testing the water. So he said, well, then do you know of a place that will sell rubbers and not the kind that you wear on your feet to young boys? Uh Because at that time, it was illegal for anyone under 18 in New York State to buy condoms. Wow. Now, what year was this? I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) You have to tell us. It's for historical purposes. That's right. It was historical. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it oh, absolutely there you have was. It. She's not giving us an inch on this one. Okay, fair enough. We'll we'll leave it at that. But it was a long time ago. It was not the Dark Ages, okay. but it seemed like it. Yeah. Well, yeah. In the meantime, I had no idea because I wasn't prepared for teaching human beings. I was prepared for teaching subject matter. Because you were taught to do it that way? You teach material. You don't teach a human being. Right. So I asked him to stall if he could tell me a little bit about what was going on. And he told me that this was the weekend of his church retreat. (laughs) Okay. So the weekend of his church retreat. He wanted to be prepared. Okay. I had a tremendous amount of respect for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only resource I knew was Planned Parenthood. And I called them up and said, I know that you're committed to women's reproductive health care. What can you do for this young boy? And the receptionist told me that she'd never heard of a question like this. No one had ever asked her. And it was way before male involvement projects. Way before. So um, she said she would ask, and she did. And I knew at the time they sold condoms for two for a quarter. She said for him to come down and ask for Lucille, and she would take care of him. Ah. So I gave him the information the first day, the next day. So I realized you taught human beings, and you needed to have resources at your fingertips to be able to be helpful to kids. That's great. So that was the start of your passion to help kids. Exactly. Help kids about sex. And you, let's talk a little bit about your history with the Go Ask Atlas. I think that's a huge thing, which falls right into this. Right. I worked with college students for a long time. And, for instance, when uh, Ruth Westheimer, Dr. Ruth, left Brooklyn College, I took over teaching her classes. Oh. So I've been, I have a lot of experience. And where I was really involved with women's this and women's that and the women's movement, here I married a man and have two boys, now men. (laughs) So I had to shift gears pretty quickly and learn a lot about men and develop compassion which wasn't really hard because I kept thinking about the boys in that kind of a situation. You know, it's true. The women are usually, or the girls are usually the focus. And, and this is the purpose of my show. The men are often left out and certainly are impacted in some really negative ways in our society and by women, let's just face it. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And when you wanted to talk about media, it's so clear that what gets perpetuated is the macho man. Right. And... That is something that doesn't change. Men think they need to be ready to have sex at a moment's notice, whether they want to or not, and there's no such thing as not. Right, because that's what we are taught, that's what a man's supposed to do, and that's what they do do, but we know that's not true. Well, they're human beings. Right. They're not machines. Right. Although I do remember talking to a man in his mid-20s who said, with a lot of pain, but I would like to be more of a machine. And I wanted to explain, she wants to be with you because of who you are, not because of what you can do. Right, and this is an important point because this is a problem that we have. It's not just the men, it's the women that we think that we're supposed to be performing, right? Much like machines. I think one of the problems, Lori, is that men have an idea of how sex should be and how they should respond and how they should react. And then what they do is look at themselves with a magnifying glass mm-hmm. and a club. Right. Because they beat themselves up for not 
meeting an image which is unrealistic to begin with. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what Judith is saying and what I was saying is it's so important to realize really realistic expectations and also that we don't want machines as lovers. We want we want a lover. We want a human. We want a person. And to realize that these messages that we get from the media, which brings us to the topic yes. of our interview, how does the media really affect how we think that we're supposed to be, men and women? Well, what's funny, too, is the symbol of how people have had sex for years with the bases, first base, second base, third base, and home run, which right. is intercourse. Home run. And then there are people now um, who are doing research on whether or not oral sex is the new third base. And I remember talking to groups of people, and they say, third base? Because in their friendship network, it could be second base, it could be first base, right. way before or instead of kissing. Right. Oral sex might even be first base to That's some people. Right. Yeah. That's right. Because I think in some ways, right, for the kids, we could say oral sex is less intimate than kissing, I've heard. Which is very say. different from how it was when many of us grew up. Yeah, isn't, isn't it kind of sad? I don't know whether it's sad or not. It's just what is. I know. It seems tragic to me. Anyways. Excuse how- me. Let's talk <laughs> about that for a minute. Okay. What's being lost? You know, this, this sense of excitement, this sense of intimacy, like something special about putting someone's penis in your mouth or having your penis in somebody's mouth. That is a, an intimate, I think ideally, a very intimate, wonderful act. And when we just kind of expect it, we expect that we're supposed to do it because that's what we do and we expect that we're supposed to just have it done to us. Where's the, where's the joy? Where's the excitement? Where's the passion? You know, what's funny is, Laurie, you're talking about a different, um, a different framework, a different way of looking at sex. And some of the people who are having sex at first, having uh, oral sex at first base, are not looking for intimacy. They're not looking for joy. Right. They're, not right. look, they're looking for experience. They're learning for opportunities to talk with, to develop their own self-esteem. They're looking for practice. They're learning to be able to be big in somebody else's eyes. Yeah, you're right. And I suppose I need to be careful and not invalidate that. And yet. (laughs) Because we all have sex for different reasons. Yes. How does that affect our future sex lives, our future intimate relationships? That we'll have to see with research where this is going with some of the people who are changing the model of first base, second base, third base. Yeah, I don't know. I think from the people that I see in my practice, I think already I'm seeing it has a bit of a negative impact because where do they change that mindset from I'm supposed to be this machine and I'm supposed to perform and this is the expectations. How does that switch to what we know sex can be? Okay, what's often missing Mm -hmm. now is the opportunity for men and women to get to know each other. And that was the function of dating. That was the function of keeping company because you would see if you wanted to be with that person, if you wanted to spend more time with them, if they were interesting to you and you wanted to get to know them, and you would spend time doing things together, going to the movies and see if you like different kinds of movies and can you agree on common ground, going to a museum and seeing if you can find um, interests 
that uh, where you where there's synergy, where you build on each other's interests and excitement. And and that is exactly right. I, I think that that's something that's missing. And we're going to have to take a quick break. But what I just want to say before we take a quick break that I want to talk about after the break Great. is that same kind of interest synergy. It's not just about going to the movies. I think we lose that in the bedroom as well. And I think it creates a lot of sexual, I hate to use the word, but we'll just say sexual dysfunction, certainly sexual dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. And we are going to talk about that right after the break. Listen to Expanded Lovemaking, a weekly internet audio program and podcast for men and women on Personal Life Media. Get advanced techniques that expand your lovemaking bliss. And we're back. You're listening to On the Minds of Men. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Buckley. I'm here with Judith Steinhardt. And we're talking about really so many different things. One thing is our expectations about what sex should be, the difference between being a machine and being a human, and also some ways that sex is looked at differently now than it maybe has been in the past. and Has different meaning. Yeah, and how it affects our future. Exactly. And I want to talk about what we were talking about before the break, which is this this sense of synergy that you talked about, right. and how does that affect our sex life? Well, part of what makes sex rich is the idea of trust, and trust builds with knowing somebody else, or with taking risks with people that you don't know very well, and feeling like the... Um, the stakes are low, so it doesn't matter. You can risk being yourself. And you have some choices there. But what meaning does each person bring to the sexual experience? And this is the conversation that's often missing. Because what will happen is you will assume that your um, touching and kissing will go right through the uh, sexual response cycle and right through the bases. And that there's no stopping or checking in or saying, how's this going? Or is this okay for you? Or I just want to make sure we're doing what we both want to be doing and that you're feeling pleasure because I'm feeling pleasure. Or checking in and saying, what can we change? And what happens is people get enveloped in sexual silence. And as a result, you have no idea where the other person is. And you haven't really checked in with where you are, except maybe you're either being subsumed under the sexual feelings or you're anxious about what the other person is thinking, what the woman is thinking, what will happen in 10 minutes, will you still be friendly afterwards, are you going to come too quickly, are you going to lose your erection, what happens to the condom. And when you're thinking about all those things, right? erections are problematic, orgasms or something that probably aren't going to happen. And the quality of the time together changes. So what is the point? So the problem is we're so focused on the quality. We want so badly to be a good lover. We focus so much on being a good lover that what ends up happening is our sexual experience becomes much less than satisfying or less than it could be. Right, exactly. What's interesting is to think about what people could do 
to be better lovers. And I did a talk with men where I asked them at the end of the presentation to write down on index cards what they would do. What's one thing they could do based on our talk that would make them better lovers? And I looked at the um, index cards afterwards. And one of them that was so telling to me said that this person, this man would take more showers. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) It is because you tend to forget about things that are so basic. The idea of not just criticizing a woman for the way she smells, but making sure that you're up to speed too, that you've taken a shower, that you've taken good care of yourself, that your hair isn't stringy, that you put on deodorant, (laughs) and that you've really um, cultivated and are presenting your best self too. You know what? I think that's so great. We always talk about communication and how important it is, which it is. There's no, we're not going to, we're not going to trivialize that. Communication is important, but you're right. Cleanliness and just the fact that you're taking pride, taking pride in yourself, taking care of yourself. And I think being a considerate lover as well. Right. And (laughs) often it's not something that we think of. Yeah. So you were talking about how we need to communicate in that way where we're checking in with our partner, where we, we're finding out what's going on. So we're not. And we're checking in with ourselves. Oh, that's okay. To go make that. sure that what we're doing is something that we want to be doing. So important. Even if it isn't, to be able to say, okay, this isn't working, and not to have an all or nothing uh, philosophy or incident where you're doing it and it's okay but not great and you feel like you should continue or stopping and you're on either sides of the bed furious with each other. There has to be, not has to be, there's an opportunity Mm -hmm. for a lot of middle ground that can be pleasurable, satisfying, fun, playful, if only we had, what, the imagination, the experience, the practice, and the courage to talk with each other in a different way. Okay, that... Right there, you you hit the nail on the head because I was going to say to you, okay, we know that this is all important, the talking, the checking in, what do we need? And courage is doing something even though we might be fearful because the truth is that we're afraid to talk about sex. We're afraid to check in with ourselves sometimes. We're afraid to talk to our partner and tell them what we need or ask them what they want and to do it anyways. I think that's such an important thing. It's what we do in other parts of our lives. We're fearful and we do things anyway. Right. We're fearful in business and we take risks. We're fearful in uh, what family situations and we take risks. Yeah. We're fearful with shopping and we take risks. <laughs> well, maybe not so much shopping. Well, <laughs> we can always return those shoes. but uh, Not when they're on final sale. Oh, well, okay. That takes a tremendous <laughs> amount of courage and when you talk about it takes practice it takes experience well we can't get that practice or experience if we don't act with courage if we don't do it anyways take that risk because we know that it's worth it we know that when we do that well we're telling you (laughs) you just have to trust us that when you do these things the experience we're not even talking about after the experience and the practice we're talking about at that moment can be such a wonderful thing. When you are able to say where you are and have yeah. your partner listen and be with you at that moment instead of running their movie about how things should go. Right, right. Okay, speaking of movies. Yes. I want us to take a very quick break. One more quick break. But when we get back, I just want to talk a little bit about how movies are affecting our sex lives negatively or positively. Perfect. Okay, so we'll be right back. 
Listen to Sex, Tantra, and Kama Sutra, a weekly internet audio program from PersonalLifeMedia.com. Learn ancient secrets that turn on the soul of sex at PersonalLifeMedia.com. We're back, and you are listening to On the Minds of Men. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Buckley. I'm here with Judith Steinhardt. We're having a great conversation. Well, I was just going to say, we're having a wonderful time. <laughs> we're having fun. And right now, we're going to talk about the media, movies, TV. How is it impacting our sex lives? Judith. Okay, I think about in the 30s, Clark Gable in the movie It Happened One Night took off his shirt. There was no undershirt underneath, and the sales of undershirts plummeted from that moment on. It's true. So that was an, a, a very specific example. Another example years ago is that there weren't the kind of sexually explicit films that would be educational that um, some people, like Mark Schoen, have developed for years and years. He's the better sex films are fabulous. He, he's definitely been, for years, in the forefront of this area. Yeah. And all as a result, the only thing that men could learn from was traditional porn, you know, with um, funny bodies and black socks. And men were starving for information about what to do sexually because the expectation was so great that they would know what to do. And that women were supposed to be sexually naive and men were supposed to be an heterosexual model, sexually experienced, knowledgeable, and able to run the show. And have really big penises. Right. And did the sale of black socks go up? <laughs> I don't think I so. Okay, good. I didn't think so. Good, good. But um, there were other problems. Yes, yes, because, for example, as porn developed, men would, again, measure, literally, figuratively, measure themselves against the men who were in the porn films, and their penises would be unnaturally huge, and then real men would feel inadequate. And again, it's not just the size of a person's penis that makes them a good lover. And it's hard for men to hear that, because even if they hear my words, they're more likely to wipe me out and disagree with me or wipe out my words, because they believe it's important for women. And I want to say it's probably more important for men. Yes, there are some people who are invested in penis size, but there are some people who are invested in breast size, and some people are invested in shoe size, and some people are invested in height. There are always going to people who be people who are attracted to some part of another human being's body, or uh, fragrance, or scent, or visual visual essence. And that becomes problematic when we judge ourselves based on what other people want. And that is a big problem of what's happening. And when we're judging ourselves by what we're seeing in movies or on the media, uh, magazines, TV, these perfect bodies who, who have hours of makeup and uh, and, and airbrushing. And airbrushing, choreography, right. lighting, and let's just face it, We've, we've said it before, we're going to say it again, that is not reality. That's not what real sex look like, looks like, and it's not what real people look like. S similarly, you don't have anybody in the movies that I've heard, um, when they're about to have sex, have gas, or say, okay, I need to go to the bathroom, <laughs> or where is the condom, except maybe recently. Yeah, the condom. Condom. Not, and the, not the gas. And where's the lube? <laughs> and where is the conversation about what you might like to do sexually? 
okay, we're here. De- the lights are out. How do we get, and the, where the movies are, how do we get from a standing position to laying down with no clothes, without removing clothes, without the buttons, without the zippers getting caught? Do you fold up your clothes afterwards? Do you toss them? Do you rip them off? What, what exactly do you do? And how does it make you feel? Yeah, those are those I, those are such great questions, and those are things that we would like to be spontaneous and wonderful. But the truth is, they're not. They're not. Although when we were in a relationship for a while, it becomes very routine. You can probably tell us exactly what happens every single time if you've been in a relationship for longer than I don't know six months. I think who takes off the clothes, where they go, what area are you in? What part of the bed are you in? (laughs) What position are you in? Who touches what? So it's almost this uh, choreographed sex that you have after you've been in a relationship, but it's just not very exciting. Well, I was going to say that itself is not bad because if (laughs) during... Sorry? It's different points of view. Different points of view. (laughs) In itself, it's not bad. If you're going through the routine that you have and it's comfortable for you, and if there are true moments of connection, if that's what you want, where you really are looking at each other and you really are in that moment with your partner, that can make a difference regardless of whether the routine is the same. Very true. I agree with that. I agree with that. So we talk about how it's fun to add some adventure and do some different things and try different positions. And I believe that that's true. But I believe what you're saying is more true. Sex becomes better, ideally, as relationships go on because we do feel more comfortable with ourselves, with our partner, and we're able to connect with our partner in a way that just feels natural, it's comfortable, and it is the most satisfying sex that people really ever have. It's much more exciting than hanging from a chandelier or... Right, it's not about the chandelier. <laughs> or trying that's some not. crazy position. That's right. Yeah, that's so... Right. And that is, that's a really important thing. And of course, we can't get that information from movies or television or magazines. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Those moments of connection. I'll tell you one thing, and I, I think you'll agree with me on this, Judith, because we mentioned it briefly. An advantage of the media is we can use it as a tool, whether it's a TV show or whether it's a movie or a book or a magazine article, we can look at it with our partner and we can talk about it. It's a way to talk about some sex, talk about our relationships in ways that maybe don't feel so comfortable right away, but we can use that as a tool. Can you give me an example of that? I'm certain you're right. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, you're watching a movie and and you see what, what you described. You see the couple come in and they're ripping off each other's clothes and they're throwing each other on the bed and, and they're doing whatever they're doing. And you could say, what, it, does, what do you think about that? Does that turn you on? Is that something that that interests you at all? And your partner will give you some information. They'll say... You know, it looks good in the movie, but it's it's really ridiculous. I would, if you did that to me, I'd probably smack ya. <laughs> you. Or, know? or you could take the risk first and say, you know, when we saw this in the movie, I thought I would feel uncomfortable, and I was surprised that I didn't. And I wondered how you felt, right. because rather than necessarily put your partner on the spot, you disclose something. You talk about your own feeling, and you see, you take the risk first. Yeah which is a really good communication tip. When you use that courage, summon it up, and you disclose in some way, that does give your partner permission and a little bit more freedom to speak 
more openly and a little bit more comfortably. Because you've taken the risk first rather than put them on the spot and, well, rather than put them on the spot. Yeah. So to sum up. Yes. Because we are out of time, but I want to just sum up what you've said because you've said some really wonderful things. Well, I couldn't have done it without you. (laughs) Thanks, Judith. We did have fun, and we talked about really how does the media affect our lives, our sex lives, our relationships. What about our expectations? Can we look about... Can we look at sex and our relationship in more realistic ways? Get rid of some of these expectations that are just really ridiculous and communicate to our partner, take some risk, and really just be connected. Be ourselves. And to your partner. Inside and outside. And that's a really important point. Not this is not just to our partner, for our partner. We need to do it for ourselves. And when we do that we become fuller people, we become... We become authentic. We become our true selves. That's the word. And when we're authentic, we're not machines, but we are people and we're so much more attractive. So authenticity and passion and communication and courage, I think that about sums it up. What do you think? I absolutely agree. Joy, this is great. It has been a pleasure having you with me. And how could people find out about you or hook up to your website? What information can you give our Judith listeners? JudithSteinhardt.com. JudithSteinhardt.com is the way to reach And how me. do you spell Steinhardt? S-T-E-I-N-H-A-R-T. Great. And we will have Judith's website link up on our website. And if you have any questions for me, please write me at Lori at PersonalLifeMedia.com. And if you'd like transcripts of this show or any other show on Personal Life Media, you can go to PersonalLifeMedia.com. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lori. This was great. And thank you, listeners, for taking the time to listen to our show. And we'll see you again. Bye. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.